Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome back to the Nebraska Crop Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Dorsey. I'm a water and integrated cropping systems extension educator for Dodge and Washington counties in eastern Nebraska. And even though I'm located in the eastern part of the state, we're really looking at making this podcast cover issues that are relevant to everyone. And I think we have a really good podcast in store for you today. As we get started here with the podcast, keep in mind that the CropWatch podcast is a companion to the CropWatch website, which is www.cropwatch.unl.edu. We try to post regular articles there at least once a week. So we have uh, up-to-date information on what's going on in the state. And the biggest thing going on in the state of Nebraska right now is that it's very, very dry. (laughs) So we've got a good podcast in store today with our guest, Brad Schick, who is an extension educator, and I'll let him introduce himself in just a moment. But before we get started, I just want to let you know a few events that are coming up. We have some crop production clinics that are approaching quickly. So starting tomorrow, August 23rd, 2022, we have our soybean production clinic And the next day, August 24th, 2022, we have our corn production clinic. And both of these are being held at the Eastern Nebraska Research Extension and Education Center, or as we like to call it, NREC, in Ithaca, Nebraska. On August 25th, we'll be holding the West Central Field Day in North Platte, which will be focused on problems and concerns that are more relevant to West and Central Nebraska. So that's a busy week for events. And then the next week, on September 1st, we have our Nebraska Alfalfa and Wheat Expo being held in Crete, Nebraska. If you're interested in any of these events, we'll put some links to the web pages for these events in the show notes below where you can go to learn more and register to attend. Then later on in September, on September 13th through 15th is Husker Harvest Days. This event is not being organized by the University of Nebraska, but we will have booths there and uh, we'll have extension folks that'll be manning those booths and, and ready to talk to anyone who's interested in topics around precision agriculture, crops, irrigation, livestock, um, and a lot more. And, and all, in fact, I will be there as well, helping with our precision agriculture booth. And uh, we might even be recording some podcast information there. With those current events, I want to introduce Brad Schick, who is an extension educator. And I believe you cover a pretty large area in, in east central Nebraska. Um, I don't know all the counties that you cover, so I'll, I'll let you dive into exactly where you are and also what your background is. But if you wouldn't mind giving a, a brief introduction and how you got to where you are today, that'd be great. Yeah, well, thanks, Nate. Uh, yeah, Brad Schick, I'm a beef systems extension educator. My formal training's in range and forage, so deal with a lot of diversified uh, agriculture. A lot of the counties I cover, people have both crops and cattle, so can't have one without the other in my area. So the counties I cover are Boone, Nance, Merrick, Hamilton, Platte, Polk, and York counties. So we're kind of that heavy crop in the, the transition into the sand hills in the, in the northwest part of my accountability region. Kind of how I got here is grew up on a small farm and, and uh, always loved the interaction with crops and cattle and led me to get masters in in agronomy uh, specifically range and forage and really to get that interaction and, and diversified agriculture and, and i guess that's that's how i got to extension and some of the areas i work in are corn residue silage uh, small grain silage small grain grazing pasture grazing uh, there's just a lot of things that our producers need in this area that is multifaceted great well thanks brad I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today for a few reasons. One, you know, I also have an agronomy background, 
but what I don't have is the knowledge that you do around range management and feed uh, for livestock specifically. And we've had really dry conditions throughout the whole state. And a number of the farmers that I work with are really concerned about the state of their corn. The development of corn has, has in some fields, just really does not look great, especially in fields that are not irrigated. What are the options available to farmers who might be struggling with drought-affected corn? Uh, yeah, we'll start with the weather. You know, you look at the drought monitor in Nebraska, and it has not been improving. <laughs> it's, it's generally decreased in, in the quality that we've had. Uh, you know, there's some spots in the state that have received some good rain, some timely rain, but as a whole, not, not so good. You know, we see dry land that doesn't have any sort of sub-irrigation or any sort of soil moisture deep that they had this year coming from a dry fall last year uh, in the winter of 21. There's not a whole lot there. We even look at alfalfa fields and, and things of that nature, and they're not as productive this year either. Our ditch hay is even a third to a fourth of production. I mean, if that tells anything, uh, <laughs> that, that's where the water goes, right? When there's waters in those ditches. So that, that's just one more indicator. A lot of the corn that I've looked at, you know, a lot of them don't have ears on them. Uh, a lot of them, uh, there's some that's already brown, uh, there's either corner of pivots or, or dry land. So it's, it's looking rough for the corn crop and, and some of the soybeans for that matter too, in certain areas of the state. It's been hot, it's been dry, and it's been, uh, to some extent, kind of windy. We experienced that this spring with a lot of wind, uh, sucked some of the moisture that we already had out, and it's created this issue that we, we're dealing with now. So options for producers. When we start looking at what we want for feed, you know, a lot of our crops aren't, they're not grown for feed, right, and intentionally or, or silage. They're for grain production. Well, when we get in a situation like this, and we put nitrogen down to try to produce a grain crop. Then we start asking, well, one, is it safe? Is, are we gonna get the production like you mentioned? Then what do we do with that? And the first thing I would probably do is, is talk to an agronomist, uh, see you know, if there's something that is not gonna produce well or, or worth it. You know, There's also the insurance route that you need to get right away with that agronomist. Check what your insurance is, your RMA, um, see what the regulations are and what you have to do. Because the, the one of the worst things we can do is put all this time and effort into the summer, making sure we, we you know, use our risk management, and then we accidentally screw it up because we didn't do something right, because we got in a rush, or because we just didn't think about it. So I would say it's very important to contact your insurance agent, you know, if you, if you have insurance. So that would definitely be like one in, steps one and two. Great. The next thing that I've had questions on is, you know, if I go that insurance route, you know, a common question that I've received is, can I use the corn for something else after an insurance claim? You know, can it be grazed? Can it be harvested for something? Is that allowed under, you know, that, that rule? And then if you are going to do that, or if it is, what do I need to do next? So do you have any insight on that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not an insurance agent. Uh, that's, I don't have a lot insurance license, but you know, the one thing you need to make sure to do is, you know, there's strips, right? If the adjuster comes out and zeroes it out or says it's, you know, I'm going to make 20 bushel or what have you, you know, then, then you have to know whether you need to leave strips, if you're cutting or haying, regardless. Some, you can harvest it and, and do a yield assessment at the end of the year and it'll be paid off that. There's a couple options. 
how that works specifically for, for each policy and what your guarantee is will be different. Uh, but generally speaking, it's going to be the same in terms of how you can uh, go about with using it as another source of, well, in this case, feed, right? So whether that's chopped or hate or whatever, but like you said, you got to make sure you talk to that insurance and make sure you're doing correct either strips or if it's already come out and the adjuster has given you a, a rate, there's potentially you can don't have to do that, but um, just double check with your insurance agent. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest thing to do if you're concerned about corn and, and how well it's performing, whether it's drought stressed or, or affected by something else. Number one thing to do would be to reach out to whoever you're insured through and have an adjuster come out and take a look at it. And that's, that's the message that I've been telling the growers that have asked me those questions. Let's say going forward, you want to try to do something with some drought-stressed corn. You're not look, getting the yields that you uh, are hoping for, and you want to look at uh, trying to channel that into something else. You mentioned it earlier, but a lot of our fields for corn, especially for production, are treated with different things. That could be herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers, and it's important to consider what you've applied in those fields before you go forward and harvest it for something like animal feed for livestock. So can you talk through some of the different considerations that we might have in terms of some of the practices that we might have had in those fields earlier in the season and what the effects might be on livestock? Yeah, so first of all, you know, address the the herbicide side of stuff. Um, you know, all our chemicals have labels, right? And, and we all know that there's a, a lot of times there's a harvest restriction or there's a summer restriction even for, for humans to go into the field, right? Well, the same applies to grazing or harvested feeds. So some of these chemicals may have a grazing restriction or, or a feed restriction. Some will call it a haying restriction. But basically, they'll say on there that cannot hay after, you know, for 21 days or something like that, uh, or do not even use for feed. Now, uh, you know, just make sure that those chemicals you applied don't have those restrictions on them or just a, abide by those restrictions just to make sure we're on label. That That's the best way to make sure we're, we're safe is to not break those labels, those rules on those labels. When we go in some situations, you can probably have a toxicity issue, but those are few and far between. It's, it's more about making sure we have a safe product um, going to our consumer as well. So, so that's just making sure that our industry stays afloat and, and in, in good graces with the general public as well. On the side of fertilizers, there's a lot of times we put the full rate of fertilizer down, right? And if there's no uh, precipitation, it's not going to be used. It's just not going to be used correctly, right? It's going to sit in that field um, or it's going to accumulate nitrates in the bottom of our plant and our plant in general. Uh, so that's one of the big concerns when we start thinking about uh, well, really, any type of forage, grain, et cetera, any type of plant, if it's drought stressed and has an abundance of nutrients, specifically in this case, uh, nitrogen, uh, we're going to have a potential for nitrate poisoning. In the lower portion of the plant, it's going to be a lot higher concentration. When we get into different types of, of harvesting here, we can do that a little bit. You know, it changes the the risk too, but that, that nitrate Poisoning potential is, is is high on drought conditions and abnormal growth. When we think about a normal year with normal temperatures, normal rainfall, whatever normal means in your area, 
so that that makes a, a big difference when we um, are considering what to do with this this drought stress corn. So I think one of the the biggest concerns with corn feeding to livestock, especially cattle, is that nitrate issue. And I know that nitrate is not good for cattle. And I know that has something to do with them being ruminant animals and, and having rumens and, and how they digest. What exactly is the effect of nitrate on livestock? And how does eating corn or other crops that might have higher nitrate levels, what's the effect of, of that on the animal? Right. Nitrates are converted to nitrites. And what that does is it allows the oxygen to not be transported by the animal's blood. So what happens is basically you get at high concentration, you essentially suffocate, the animal suffocates from the inside out because it can't get oxygen to the whole of its body. So kind of weird to think about that that's how it happens, but that's that's in the bolts of, of why nitrates are, are so bad for our livestock. It happens pretty quickly. It's, it's You can't really see many signs or symptoms before you actually have a, a death event in the cattle. So it's not something that's very easily treated. It pretty much is, it's pretty much death if, you, if you're too high of a concentration of nitrates. So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not something that you can go out and say, oh, it, you know, it's not like pink eye where you can go out oh, and say, I need to treat it. It's pretty much done if you have the high levels. But the good thing is we can test for it. The testing is relatively cheap. Uh, when we think about, you know, losing one animal, a couple thousand dollars, test costs, you know, under 40 bucks typically for nitrates. So when you think about how many tests you can do before you have one dead animal, that's, it's worth it. Uh, it's inconvenient, right? But this, in years like this, there's a lot of inconveniences that we have, including even having to have this conversation, right? Uh, of, of what are we going to do with drought stress corn? Yeah, exactly. So can you walk us through the procedure of actually testing a crop for nitrate? Is that going out in the field and pulling out a, a stalk of corn or is that taking a sample of, of silage after it's been chopped? What's the process of, of doing that? And then where can we send in some of those samples to be analyzed? So uh, there's a couple different ways, depending on how you're harvesting it. Obviously, I said that lower portion of the plant is going to have our highest concentration of nitrates. So if you already know you're going to cut above that, then maybe you don't need to test that bottom portion. So cut where maybe your cutting height is going to be. Now, if you're not going to do that or you just want to know what the entire field is, you know, you can cut down to the ground and you can put that in the bag, freeze it and overnight it to a, uh, a lab that can do that. We'll talk about which labs those are. Uh, coming up here, but if you have, if you're doing like dry hay, then you can wait till it's dry and send it in that way as well. And, uh, you know, like a paper bag or, or something like that, that has some airflow through it. Uh, what we don't want to do, regardless of how we take our, our samples is to get it moldy on the, on the trip to the lab. Some people will take their samples to the lab themselves, drive them, drive them there. Some people will mail them, you know, UPS, FedEx, whatever. USPS, there's a lot of different ways. It doesn't really matter. They get, these labs get samples from all over the country in different forms. Uh, but we just want to make sure we maintain the quality of the, the sample. Some will sample different heights of the plant. If you want to, you know, do the, the first 12 inches, then the next, the next foot, then the next foot, just to get an idea of, of where we're at. So you know what cutting height. 
Um, a lot of people like to do that for grazing too. If they're going to graze some of this drought stress corn, um, that way you know how far down you should graze and how fast to move our animals because we don't want to just have them access to an entire field. But, but those places that we can send those to include like uh, Ward Labs, Servitech, Midwest Laboratories, and if I'm miss, missing some others, there's others others out there, and and you can choose any of those that that would have the ability and, and test nitrates all the time on samples. Great, yeah, I know that we're really fortunate in Nebraska to have a lot of great quality labs to send both soil and plant tissue samples to. And they all do a really great job. So if we send in uh, some, some tissue samples from our fields and we get some results back, most of these results are, are measured in parts per million. At least that's what I'm used to on the soil side. Do we get similar types of readings for these types of tissues? And, and what are the ranges of acceptable nitrate concentrations? Yeah, so so typically we'll get them back in, in two forms. Uh, it'll be either nitrate ions uh, or nitrate nitrogen. So we have resources that you can look that up at uh, uh, CropWatch and, and BeefWatch that we can see which level is uh, recommended for, for your animals. It, it's usually going to be pretty obvious which one it is uh, based on the numbers, hopefully, uh, unless you have a, a really, really high nitrates, which is, which is possible. But uh, when we talk about like our nitrate nitrogen, um, less than a thousand parts per million is is considered safe for all animals. Uh, when we get to that thousand to to two thousand, you know it's good for for non-pregnant or, or dry animals, but we still can feed that to our pregnant animals at that point. We probably want to adapt them or dilute that feed with with other low nitrate feeds so that we don't have an issue. When we get up to that above two thousand, like twenty one hundred, then we start getting worried about potential issues with pregnant animals because we don't want uh, abortions in that in that situation. So we want to adapt them. We want to dilute it. When we get above that 3,400, I believe it is, you know, we want to feed less than 25% of that feed to our animals. So the rest has to be a low nitrate, you know, less than 1,000. But again, it just increases our risk significantly. And we don't want to have abortions. We don't want to have, uh, you know, toxicity issues um, for for our animals as well. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. And I know that there's also a few different harvesting practices that can impact the amount of nitrates in the feed that we're taking from fields. So when it comes to different harvesting and, and, and processing of corn, there is a difference between, you know, haying and baleage and silage. I can't really tell you what those differences are, but I know that you can. So... If you can explain what what's the difference in how those are harvested and, and how they're handled and processed later that affects the amount of nitrate that is in the plant tissue after we harvest it. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, the nitrates that are in the plant are there. Uh, you're not, you're not going to change it. The only thing you can change is cutting height, right? So, like I said, the lower portion has the highest concentration. Our traditional hay just cutting it and letting it dry, you know, getting down to 15% moisture and rolling it up, bailing it up. That's not going to change the nitrates from the moment we cut it till when we bail it. That's not going to change. If we do do any sort of ensiling, uh, any sort of silage, whether that be baleage, which is a form of ensiling, or our traditional chopped silage, we can reduce our nitrate level with the fermentation process we can reduce up to 50% of 
of our nitrate concentration in our in our forages. Now that's up to that 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 means we have good conditions. That means we put it up right, the right moisture. In the case of corn this year, we probably want to use an inoculant because it's not a we're not used to the the starch. There's less starch because there's probably lack of years. Uh, so we have more sugar, so it's put up a little differently, uh, more like a, a, a legume hay, alfalfa, or or a, or or grass hay. Um, you know, corn is grass. With it doesn't have the grain on it, it's pretty much grass, right? So that makes a, a big difference. When we don't put it up right, we can have you know issues with yeasts and molds, as well as you know dry matter loss, and then we potentially can only reduce our nitrate level by 20% in our in our silages if we don't do it correctly. So I guess getting to the difference of what baleage and, and silage, baleage is, is basically when we uh, we cut the cut the corn, it's usually baled up and in some point in the process it's wrapped in plastic. So what that does is that's kind of like our pile when we think about traditional silage. We we create a, a very tight uh, enclosed pile, uh, but it's the size of one bale, right? So what that does is that reduces or tries to eliminate all the oxygen from the forage and from there. So our microbes can actually go into the process of fermenting the forage. In terms of silage, uh, that's going to be cut to a lot shorter chop length. So it's going to be little pieces as opposed to, you know, a, a, a crimped or, or, just windrowed corn or forage. So when we do our silage, we want to be at, you know, 65 to 70% moisture. So it's quite a bit wetter. Um, and we want to pack that, make sure we have a really good density. Uh, you can bag it too. Um, that's another way of doing it. That's become more popular as well. But uh, like I said, there's going to be less grain. So we want to use an inoculant uh, that'll really help our fermentation process. It'll get it fermenting faster and it'll feed out better and last longer when we expose the face of that pile or bag. Great. I know there's a lot of considerations to keep in mind when you have, you know, when you're thinking about what to do with drought stressed corn and then also um, with some of the results that you might get back from a lab and that might help inform some of those decisions. And at the university, you know, we make a great effort to try to have guides and resources available for growers who are considering these types of decisions. So we have obviously Crop Watch and Beef Watch where we, where we post regular articles. That's a good resource. But what other resources are available from the university where people can go to learn more? One of the first ones is Nitrates in Livestock Feeding. It's a NEB guide. It's G1779. So if we want to know about the, the levels uh, that are toxic, um, look at that. Uh, there's also we can do for sampling for nitrate or just sampling hay, um, we can find that one. And that basically tells us how to do it, uh, whether that's a bale, a silage pile, and that's a, a using a hay probe or a, a grab sample, use that resource and it'll show you exactly how much you need and how to handle that sample. Another one we need to think about too is the use and price of drought stressed corn, and especially when we think about pricing our silage. So I believe some of our economists are also coming out with an updated version of that real soon here or already have with drought stress corn and, and how to price it, especially with the price of corn grain right now too, because it's usually based off that. Um, so that's, that's a really good resource we have as well. Great. 
And we will put links to these different articles, nev guides, and websites uh, that we that we just mentioned in the show notes of this podcast. So you can uh, check that out from wherever you're listening and view that on, on your phone or a computer to learn more. If someone wants to learn more, uh, do we have other beef extension educators throughout the state like yourself that, that can help? Or how can someone reach out to you directly if they're in your area? Yeah, so we have... Uh several beef educators across the state and crop educators too and I'll field these questions and get information to our producers and, and people just curious about it too if we don't know the answer the individual we can get it to somebody who who knows and, and deals with it more so we have a, a network of people across our state and across surrounding states that um, can help everyone well, thanks so much for your time today, Brad. I really enjoyed learning more about some of the options that we might have for some of the fields that are drought affected. And I know that many growers are going to be going through, uh, you know, the similar type of thought process as, as they're going forward. So thanks so much for sharing all this information. Yeah, you're welcome, Nate. Thanks for having me on. If you're interested in some of the guides and articles that were mentioned in this episode, we will post them in the show notes so you can pull those up on your phone or computer with whatever device you're listening to this on. You can follow me on Twitter at UNL Nate Dorsey, where you can tweet me comments or suggestions for the show. And you can also follow the CropWatch Twitter account at UNL underscore CropWatch. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the CropWatch podcast.